0: Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and this week we're going to talk about Iran and the transatlantic diplomacy around it. I have an all-star cast coming to me from Tehran, from Washington and from London to help us make sense of this. First up, we're going to hear from Nasser Hadien, who is a professor of political science at the University of Tehran. Also down the line from Washington, we have Elan Goldenberg, who is a senior fellow and director of the Middle East Security Program at the Center for New American Security. And back to the podcast once more to help us make sense of these complicated issues, we have Ellie Guerin-Meyer, who is a Senior Policy Fellow at ECFR and Deputy Head of our Middle East and North Africa Programme. Thank you all very much for joining. The election of Joe Biden presents an opening to strengthen transatlantic diplomacy on Iran. Joe Biden has already outlined his intention to prevent a nuclear-armed Iran, but to do it through diplomacy rather than the maximum pressure campaign which the Trump administration had been pursuing, primarily by ensuring that the United States rejoins eventually the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the JCPOA, from which Donald Trump unilaterally withdrew leaving nuclear diplomacy in a state of perilous chaos, which everyone has been trying to to recover from for the last couple of years. However, it's still unclear to what extent Iran can and will make a priority of re-engaging with the coming administration what Biden is going to be able to do given the domestic political constraints and what Europeans can do to, to bolster transatlantic diplomacy on Iran. They have kept the JCPOA on life support over the last couple of years, but the big questions are all going to be coming up in the in the months ahead. And before that even starts, we're still having to live out the final days of the Trump presidency. And we've seen from the news of, of the, the last few days how difficult the nuclear file is going to be in a regional context while that's going on. So before we look at the diplomatic arrangements, maybe we can start with you, Nasser, and you can tell us a bit more what the mood in Tehran is now, particularly after the news of this assassination of of an Iranian nuclear scientist. Thank you very much,
1: Mark, for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to present my views about the issues which you raised. Regarding the mood and about the assassination, you know, that was almost universally condemned across the political spectrum because he was a scientist and basically no one expected means theoretically, basically, I mean, to be hit, to be assassinated. But although... For 20 years, he has been in the list to be assassinated. But still, that was hard for the people to grasp what happened. So a number of issues have been raised about this particular one, but let me not to go in detail of different perspectives here. But generally, many people blame basically our, our security apparatus, products, our intelligence apparatus. that, I mean, there is a hole there. And uh, basically, Israelis have penetrated at the highest level, and they had information, and that was critical factor for the assassination of the scientists. Although the principalists basically tried to say that, you know, that's because of the JCPOA, that's because of the unconditional access which we have given to the IAEA, they have basically detected all these information, and we have to blame the reformist and the government of Khatami and Rouhani for what happened. So the playing game is, is, is continued, but let's not get into that issue. And uh, I prefer to concentrate on another issue, which is the JCPOA and the possibility of returning back to it. As you know, the principalist used the assassination to pass a law as an excuse basically yesterday in our majlis to obliging the government to take a number of measures, which is totally basically reduction of or commitment from, a further reduction of commitment from the JCPOA, including and reaching at 20% in due. So a number of them deals with basically what we call a breakout capability. Breakout capability basically simply refers to the difference between the time we decide to make a bomb to actuality of making a bomb. So the perception in the West was Iran is making a bomb, and we are we were two months away. Through the JCPOA, basically it was uh, extended to a year. So that's an argument. So but now? We began to accumulate more and rich uranium. But with what happened yesterday, basically, if it is not a law yet, because Council of Guardians should approve it, so if it is a law, then the government is obliged to produce much larger and accumulate, much larger and rich uranium. But this is principally as a result of somehow the European reaction and some of the people around President-elect Biden because they were using the language of leverage. Because as long as it was President Trump, so no one expected and everyone was waiting for him to go out and then diplomacy to go back. But once they saw once they heard that even people close to President Biden is using the language of the leverages which have been created by President Trump, and in fact, even the E3 also using the same language, thus, basically, the principalists concluded that we have to follow the same path. Although the government opposed it, the measures, and they wanted, in fact, to wait until President Biden is in power, and also, in fact, I want to tell you that practically that will be almost a month after President Biden is in power that is going to come into force because then even the reformists, everyone would have joined such a proposal that we have to build our leverages. And absence of the leverages, then President Biden also would say, why I should be in Harry? Iran is under pressure. Sanctions are working. Let's wait. So in order to show that's a wrong approach to the problem, then basically at that time, you know, after the president was w- assuming the power, then at that time there would, there would have been basically a consensus that there have to be a lot of leverages. You have to show exactly like 2003. You have to show them that, okay, if you are talking about the language of leverage, we are going to be the leverages too. Not only in the nuclear field, in the space and also in the region.
0: Nasser, that's a great introduction to, to the, the view from Tehran, and you use the word principalists a few times. I think they're often called hardliners in, in Western media. Eli and various other people have divided Iranian politics into these three groups, the principalists who are more conservative, the modernizers, who are more kind of Western-leading, and the securocrats who are people who are close to the, uh, the Revolutionary Guards and who are involved in a lot of the regional files. Ellie, you've been following the twists and turns of this JCPOA story for, for a very long time. And we had this impression that Europeans were desperate to, to keep it alive. NASA is blaming European talk of leverage for this escalation in Tehran. Are we on a, a path where everyone is, is trying to get into as strong a stronger position as possible for the start of the negotiations?
2: Yeah, Mark, I think that's uh, where we're at. Um, everyone can smell that some sort of diplomatic track is around the corner and they are positioning themselves for, you know, pretty hard bargaining positions, at least to begin with. And that's fairly to be expected. And in my view, there are a lot of trial balloons being put out there by everybody at the moment. And probably what may come out of it is a combination of the different roadmaps that are being suggested by various people, including us, on on what's the best way ahead. My only concern is that really the window for getting a robust stabilization of the nuclear issue in place, the window is pretty narrow. So Biden and his team will be in place after 20th of January. The Iranian presidential elections take place in June of next year. And Rouhani will be handing over power to the next Iranian government in August. Now, that leaves about seven months of overlap between Biden and the Rouhani administration to get something done, at least on the JCPOA front, on the nuclear deal front, to try and bring the U.S. and Iran back into full compliance. My concern is that everybody should be focused on making this happen instead of hard positions on, on bargaining. And here, my view is that the European role is to try and nudge and press on both Washington and Tehran, not to miss this window of opportunity. On the Iranian side, you know, Biden is going to have some political momentum under his belt when he comes in. There will be a grace period for him to do some testing of diplomatic efforts with Iran. Biden has put out quite clear statements following his election for the first time in the New York Times uh, this week outlining his interest again to return to the nuclear deal as a first step and then build on further diplomacy. Iran shouldn't miss the opportunity to, to, to engage on this front. And on the European and the Biden administration front, they shouldn't miss the opportunity that's provided by the final months of the Rouhani administration, because we really have no certainty about what sort of government is going to be in place. Whereas we do know that the current team has both the technocratic capability and the political willingness to implement this deal. It's a legacy issue for them. And we shouldn't, uh, on, the, on the Western side, be blowing up the chances of really stabilising this agreement as a confidence-building measure for further future talks ahead.
0: Great. Thanks, Ellie. So, Elan, you are watching all the same issues from Washington. How do you think the political dynamics around the Biden administration are shaping up
3: on the Iran issue? Thanks for having me, first of all. But yeah, look, I think we actually, it's going to be an interesting few months here in Washington. I will say the first thing, which is the Biden administration and the team, they've made absolutely clear that there's one president at a time and that they are not going to be talking to anybody before January 20th. And so that goes to Ellie's point that the window is, is incredibly narrow for getting anything done. I do think there is certainly a desire on the U.S. side. And you saw, I think, uh, President-elect actually in the New York Times in an interview with Tom Friedman say as much just today or this week, which is basically that he wants to go back into the JCPOA, compliance for compliance. Iran and the U.S. return to the agreement. And from there you build. But it's critical that from there you build. So I think that in many ways is the most important point for a Biden team if they're going to sell this in Congress, even with centrist Democrats, is to be able to say, you know, a return to the JCPOA is not the end, it's the beginning of a broader dialogue. And as part of that, I think there is absolutely a willingness to engage, to figure out what I think might be some complicated sequencing questions, but I think are totally doable. You know, there has been a lot of talk about leverage versus compensation. I think And I heard Nasser talking about there is a real value in the U.S. not demanding, making major new demands and sort of putting this leverage talking point aside while, you know, Iran sort of puts this compensation talking point aside. And we can all just try to start by going back to the JCPOA and then moving on from there and building on it. What I do think one point that and the president elect actually made it in his New York Times interview, made this point. And it's something that I think American politicians will make for a domestic American audience and Iranians will need and Europeans will need to understand that is, you know, in the American view, we still have the leverage, even if we go back into a negotiation and remove all the sanctions, because if things go sideways or badly and, and it all falls apart, like, you know, I think the Trump administration has taught us that, you know, the U.S. can unilaterally reimpose all the sanctions, there's no need to rub that in Iran's face. There is no need to threaten that of Iran. I think everybody just kind of knows it. So when you hear, for example, a president elect saying that point or if American officials make that point, they're making that point for their own domestic audience in order to convince that audience that like, look guys, yes, leverage matters, but it exists no matter what, but you need more than just leverage. You need good faith. You can have all the leverage in the world to apply pressure on the other side, but if they're not willing to sit at the table with you because they don't trust you at all and they think you're acting in bad faith, you got nothing. So the better option is go back to the JCPOA, put maximum pressure aside. It still exists out there if, if the U.S. ever needed it, but like that's not what we want to do and that's not what we want Iran to hear. So I think that's kind of uh, where the debate might be going and where the mentality is. But you know, I do think even if all it is from the Iranian side is an acknowledgement that like there will be future discussions on other issues, that will make a big difference uh, in the United States and and create more space for the Biden team to be able to re-engage. So Nasser, how realistic do you think it is to get
0: that kind of commitment? Because in the past, the principle was always that the JCPOA and the nuclear discussions would be cut off from discussions around the wider regional issues. There's been a reluctance certainly to engage with the United States on any of those regional issues, except in terms of deconflicting a few tactical theatres like, like in Iraq in the, the fight against ISIS. But do you think that it will be possible to talk about having the, these kind of wider discussions and going beyond the framework of the JCPOA?
3: Mark, can I just intervene for one half second and just to make clear, absolutely clear the point before Nasser answers, which is just to say that like there's still very much an understanding that a return to the JCPOA would have to come first. It's just a commitment or understanding that it won't be the end. First of all, I
1: almost fully agree with Elon. And I read President Biden interview almost five times. It was very nuanced and uh, was very good. And it indicated to me that he has a full understanding of the issue. To be frank with you, better than almost many people around him that have, have read their interviews. So that indicated to me he is really in charge and understand the depth of the issue. For him, our nuclear program was by far the most important issue. You know, He clearly indicated that, you know, we have to take care of that first because that's the one which securitized our program. Not our regional behavior, not our missile program, not the human rights. The only phenomena which had the capability to securitize us was our nuclear program. And President, given credit of President Obama, he understood it perfectly, and that's why he concentrated on that. Although I have personally argued in Iran we have to comprehensively engage with America because American policy have been called, or have named it containment plus selective engagement. And our policy have been toward America, contact containment plus selective engagement. I argued, In a paper which President Rouhani read it twice, according to his chief of staff, argued in that article that we have to, our policy should be counter-containment plus comprehensive engagement. Because selective engagement would not serve our interest. It basically serves American interest. Because we engage with the Americans on Afghanistan, on Iraq, and on nuclear issues. See what happened in all three cases. So that's why we think that we have to, or I have, I mean, that has been my argument, we have to get involved with the Americans, comprehensively. But for this particular time now, as President Biden indicated, and Elon also mentioned, we should delink the issue to one another. In other words, that's like a moral argument on our part, that America, not America, President Biden and the European, they are coming back to the JCPOA out of their commitment to a promise, that they have made out of the signature they have made, not because of any other reasons. That has been an agreement, and morally they are obliged to go back because someone like President Trump, because we have argued inside Iran, President Trump was an exception, was an aberration. It, it was a different. So President Biden should not use the language leverage, but rather, you know, that's an obligation which America has made, and he wants to go back there. But once there, I would see a very good chance within a few months. We can discuss three issues, but just one after another. Yemen is the easiest one, and the Iraq and Afghanistan. Because our interests with in America are all, I don't want to say they are identical, but they are very close to one another. So I'm very hopeful that on those three issues, because we have already cooperated on Iraq and Afghanistan, and Yemen, you know, it is not a part of our security complex. We can give concession, in fact so it's much easier for us to work to work about Yemen, so these are the three which should come right after that
0: now so i 'd like to look at, at those longer term issues in a second, but before we do that, Ellie was talking at the beginning about how europe because obviously the main problem over the last couple of years has been the the relationship between the United States and the the Islamic Republic, and a big hope is that that can now be fixed but Ellie laid out this idea of Europeans trying to do what they could to bolster the transatlantic relationship. She's been involved in organizing a, a statement this week, which was signed by a lot of ECFR's high level council members Carl Bill, Alistair Burt, Wolfgang Ischinger, Jean David Levit, Andrzej Olechowski, Javier Solana, the, the father of the E3 plus 1 process. What are the big ideas in that, Ellie? Do you want to summarize some of these ideas about how Europeans can play a, a constructive role at the moment?
2: Thanks for uh, plugging that statement in, Mark. Sure. I mean, the the big ideas are really fourfold that the council members recommended. The first one is that European governments, particularly the, the E3, and together with the EU, should coordinate some sort of a public statement together, either in advance of Biden taking over office or quickly thereafter, essentially urging and calling on the Biden administration to swiftly rejoin the JCPOA and essentially offering European support to enable Biden and his administration to do that, whether that's through outreach with Congress or through technical ideas that can help with both Iran's nuclear reversal or the sanctions easing component. We know these things are not going to be easy, but the Europeans can begin to do the homework now in the in the less than two months left before Biden comes in to set out some ideas and roadmaps for how that could happen. The second big idea was a push for a joint commission of the JCPOA current parties to meet. And I'm glad to say that the JCPOA parties have agreed to do that for 16th of December. And in that meeting, what we're pushing for is that there is some sort of a statement from the current parties to the agreement that welcomes indications from President-elect Joe Biden that his administration would look to rejoin the agreement and also calls on the U.S. administration, whether under the current one or the next one, to reissue very critical waivers for civil nuclear cooperation with Iran that are basically allowing Iran to expand its nuclear capabilities because of the lack of real rapid cooperation with third parties on that front which can't currently move forward because of US sanctions policy the third big idea is to convene a meeting of the E3 and Iran ideally at a ministerial level and if not feasible at political director level with Iran to discuss the technical aspects of how it can actually reverse its nuclear activities within a short space of time. Now, my understanding is that from a technical aspect that's feasible within a matter of months that the Rouhani administration has left in office, but we need to find swift technical routes for helping Iran do that. And I think the European nuclear powers, particularly France and the UK, can play an important role in this. In addition, I think that the Europeans should also be open to looking at creative ideas to help Iran's economy revive. Let's not forget. The Trump administration sanctions policy has done great damage to Iran. This is why Iran has been calling for compensation. And I think that there needs to be some confidence building measures uh, from the US side, which the Europeans can help with through instruments like the INSTEX, the Special Purpose Mechanism for Trade, or supporting Iran's request for the IMF loan. And finally, we think that the Europeans can already begin work on how a regional de-escalation process could work. Nasser has mentioned Yemen, uh, Iraq, these are areas where Europeans have great interest in trying to bring some stability to. And there needs to be a series of bubbles of parallel talks that take place in conjunction with the nuclear track that begin to de-escalate and cool tensions in these areas. And we think that the Europeans, through UN coordination and support, can help both the Biden administration and Iran come to some terms on this front.
0: So, Elan, do you think that that, Package of things will be helpful for a Biden administration. And maybe you could also talk a bit about this longer term prospects, because I know that the debate in Washington has not just focused on those three areas. There's a lot of talk about having more restrictions on Iran's production of fissile material or missiles, as well as some of the other theaters that go beyond Yemen, Iraq, and Afghanistan. What, what do you think the response from the Biden team will be to what Ellie's been saying and, and to what NASA was saying about the JCPOA? Plus possibilities.
3: I think that the types of things that Ellie is encouraging are exactly the right things. And I think what we were talking about before with the Europeans trying to like use this as a moment to create, they think they might, maybe they think they're creating leverage for uh, the Biden administration. I think they're just complicating life for the Biden administration. (laughs) So I think the much better move is not to be taking this harder line, but to be looking for constructive ways to. Bridge between the two sides, so the public statements are all very good. Um, I think that's really important and positive. That's the kind of signaling you want to hear and see. you know the the specific steps, I mean, you start to get into the devils and the details, right? So I think the Europeans taking steps, thinking about ideas, putting ideas before the Iranians. I think all that is is good. I think realistically, like Iran doesn't accept or make any major moves. Nasser can correct me on any of those things until the U.S. is back in the room and can actually ensure to the Iranians, yes, that, we, that would work for us and would be enough. So I think what, what the types of things we were talking about are brainstorming and setting the table at a moment where the U.S. is not going to do that so that like, the thinking, at least in Europe and in Tehran, is more developed uh, come January. And not just Europe. Like, I'd argue the entire P5 plus 1. Like, that's why joint commission is a good idea and then like you have to wait and see what happens when a new team comes back in but but certainly that's like the much better approach than like stories about increasing leverage which i think are probably like not nearly as helpful for like an incoming american team
0: i think we've laid out quite a lot of the dangers of the next period of escalation going on as well as some practical things which can be done and we'll obviously have to come back in the weeks and months ahead to see what happens with these negotiations. We've got a few minutes left to do the final thing, which we always do on our podcast, which is our our bookshelf segment. Telly, what's on your bookshelf at the moment?
2: Obviously, I'm going to put on everyone's bookshelves the statement that ECFR council members put out this week, which I think is worth a read for any European following the debate on Iran. And I'd also add a book that I just finished from Philip Gordon called Losing the... Long game, the false promise of regime change in the Middle East, which kind of loops full circle because he starts by looking at the Trump administration's maximum pressure campaign against Iran as one of the latest uh, formulations for regime change that has really been a flawed policy for the United States. It's a really interesting uh, read, and I think it provides some food for thought of on on where U.S. and European policy on the region should go forward.
0: Thanks, Ellie. What's on your bookshelf, NASA?
1: Permit me to say a few words rather than uh, on the bookshelf. I mean, I fully agree with Ellie regarding the argument of Phil Gordon, which is excellent. But just one minute, I agree fully with Elon. So I guess I mean uh, try not to link the issue of the region, the regional issues, to the coming back to the JCPOA. That would not help the issue; rather, it's going to hurt. So that's my position, number one. And number two, I guess. Easier way would be going back to the JCPOA first, out of a commitment which all we all have, and then begin to address other issues. That would be much helpful. I wish President Biden's interview would have been published three days earlier. You just can cannot imagine how that three days have complicated the situation inside Iran. But three days ago, if this interview would have been out just three days earlier things would have been very different
0: great and what about you elan what's on your bookshelf for the moment
3: so this is a little cliche in washington but i'm currently reading uh president obama's memoir and it's really good i mean he's a like he's probably like one of our best writer presidents which makes it a really compelling read and it's it's clearly like some of these books or memoirs are, are, are written by somebody else right with you know, the author putting just a few touches on it themselves and really being sort of the transcriber. Like, that's not the case with this book. It's excellent. I will say it's very long and he only gets through the first four years. He even admits it in some of the interviews. And there's been comments about this, that like, he's a former president. He has very strong feelings about his writing. So like, he's not going to listen to the editors and he has the leverage with the editors because like, I'm sure he's selling tons of books and making them tons of money. There's moments where it drags a little bit, but it's really excellent and educational and actually very fun to read now as we anticipate kind of a, a new Biden administration coming in.
0: Great. And I'm going to recommend uh, an article by Elan in Foreign Affairs on uh, the Iran issue, telling saying that the next administration has to break with the past. We'll put links up to all the publications that we mentioned on our website at ecfr.eu podcast if you've enjoyed listening to us please make sure that you let other people know by writing about it on your social media page or ours and above all by heading to whatever platform you've used to download this podcast on and giving us a positive review and a five-star rating but for now from ellie garan maya nasa hardian elan goldenberg and myself mark leonard it's goodbye The researcher for this week's podcast is Lucy Halpenthal, and our editor is Marlene Riedel.